Good morning. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not Wayne Broderick. Some of you have figured that out. My name's AJ Rinaldi, and I am one of the pastors on staff here in the area of adult discipleship. And uh, Wayne is out on study leave this week, so I get to have a little bit of fun with you this morning. Uh, we're going to dig into some depths, so fasten your seatbelt. <clears throat> No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Some of you may have studied this famous passage by John Donne. One thing that always comes to my mind whenever I hear that last phrase there is Metallica. <laughs> for whom the bell, da, 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 right? Now, like three or four of you out there are going, yes, and the rest of you are, what is he talking about? Yeah, I can't help but think of that. <clears throat> I tried to get the worship band to play that song this morning, but the worship director shot me down on that one. <laughs> now, you know, there is a difference be, be, between being on an island and being an island. Some people would like to be both. I know that. Sometimes that's me. I don't know if you can see this clearly here. You got the little man stranded on the deserted island, and here comes the boat. Instead of jumping up and down, he hides behind the tree. I love islands. I'm sure a lot of you do as well. I love the beach. Actually, I love everything about the ocean, too. I love collecting seashells. Anybody else enjoy seashells? I love to collect seashells. You know, actually, little known... Fact, I actually own the largest collection of seashells in the world. And there's a chance some of you have seen part of my collection. I keep it on all the beaches around the world. <clears throat> the Bible is unambiguous concerning our calling as believers to participate in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The psalmist so eloquently and succinctly puts it this way, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And in Hebrews 10, we see, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Spiritual growth is not a data dump. That concept of gathering together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is not all about head knowledge. Sitting under the most brilliant teaching in the world does not constitute Christian fellowship or service or community whatsoever. Participation in the body of Christ is not an academic exercise. In fact, we can grow so accustomed to learning 
that we become numb to the reality of what it means to follow Jesus as his people. And in fact, we may become too cerebral in our spirituality, resulting in a cold, unfeeling, isolated approach to spiritual formation, which our spiritual formation should be anything but those things. I don't think anyone would argue that C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest academic minds of modern Christian thought. And here's a little of what he had to say on the matter. He said, God can show himself as he really is only to real men, and that's a generic term, men and women. And that means not simply to men who are individually good, but to men who are united together in a body, loving one another, helping one another, showing him to one another. For that is what God meant humanity to be like, like players in one band or organs in one body. Of course, the idea that we're members in one band or organs in one body is not unique to C.S. Lewis. Where did he get it? Ah, the Bible. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Perhaps the most comprehensive description of this concept is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 27, where Paul lays out in great detail with this excellent illustration how vitally we need Christian community and how essential we are to the community. I'd like to read this passage, and uh, in so doing, if you would please join me for the underlined portion. Read it out loud, bold. We don't want to have to do the whole Simon Says thing like Wayne does. Believe me, I won't. But read that part that's underlined when we get there. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This passage should make Dunn's words even more striking when he proclaims, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls 
for thee. In the famous words of Clarence the angel, each man's life touches so many other lives. And this is a basic human need. Sometimes we don't realize that or some may deny it. The great 20th century poets and philosophers, uh, one of my favorite groups actually of poets and philosophers, Cheap Trick, <laughs> puts it this way. I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love you to love me. Didn't I see you crying? Actually, you can't. Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I see you crying? You can't just read that. <laughs> Feeling all alone without a friend, you know you feel like dying. And Rick Nielsen's guitar solo in that song is so singable, isn't it? When it comes out, you just do the guitar solo thing with your mouth, you know, right? It's great. And this could be stuck in your head all day. And now you know the words to that fast refrain. Feeling all alone without a friend, you know you feel like dying. Tell the truth. Whenever it comes on and you're singing along, it's kind of like, blah, blah, blah. now you know what he's singing. Sadly, however, many don't want to admit to a longing for community because we think everyone else has their stuff together and we just wouldn't fit in. In his book, The Taste of New Wine, Keith Miller nails it. He says, our churches are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but inwardly are crying out for someone to love them just as they are, confused, frustrated, often frightened, guilty, and often unable to communicate even within their own families. But the other people in the church look so happy and contented that one seldom has the courage to admit his own deep needs before such a self-sufficient group as the average church meeting appears to be. You see, we have this image of the ideal Christian family. Picture perfect, incredible. We can't possibly live up to that. We look more like this. <laughs> Funny thing is, if you're familiar at all with these families, you know that in truth, they represent homes full of love, respect, and acceptance, despite their flaws. So perhaps you don't have a family. By choice or by circumstance, you're a lone ranger. Heck, you might have a family and still be a lone ranger. The point is, the issue is a universal one. Isolation by choice for one reason or another, feelings of inadequacy, maybe past hurts, general annoyance with other people. I get it, believe me, sometimes it can be really hard to like people especially driving in Frisco these days. <laughs> or maybe you think you have no time. The list is endless. But as one of my managers used to love to tell me in the corporate world, these are excuses, not reasons. And there is a difference. In reality, loneliness and isolation is not a matter to be taken lightly. These two brilliant excerpts here are often incorrectly combined and attributed to Thoreau's Walden there, but they stand quite well on their own. Thoreau says, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Pink Floyd said, quiet desperation is the English way. You have to get that Pink Floyd reference in there too. This concept is found in music, it's in art, it's in film. I have personally spoken with several individuals who feel this way deep down inside. It's almost a gnawing pain 
universal heartache. That's why he says so, the mass of men. And Holmes' quote here, alas for those that never sing but die with all their music in them. How many of you have a song inside that you desperately want to sing? A dream, a goal, a desire, a passion? Something that maybe requires the support of other people to fulfill. I want to tell you a true story. It's a tragic story, so prepare yourself. Uh, we received a phone call here at Frisco Bible Church a couple months ago. There had been a death in someone's family. It was a relative who had received our information and called us to see if we could help with funeral arrangements, details, not necessarily for pastoral care. The woman was actually the wife of a deceased man, the sister of a wife of a deceased man. Apparently, this family considered Frisco Bible Church to be their home church. That's where the woman had gotten our information from, the family. Well, we did our research. We tried to figure out who these people were, and they were somewhat anonymous. We had record that they had been here, but we had no idea how often and for how long. No one on staff knew these people personally. No one within the congregation, the membership of our church that we spoke to, knew who they were. But apparently, somehow, these people considered Frisco Bible Church to be their home church. Whether they came multiple Sundays, whether they came Easter and Christmas, we don't know. The most tragic part about this story is this. That death was a suicide. Now, there are two ways we can learn from this story. First, do not live in quiet desperation. Don't do it. You are surrounded by people who want to be a part of your life, who need you in their lives, and love you. Reach out for help. If you attend Frisco Bible week after week, and you have not developed any relationships here, and you need someone, the pastoral staff is here for you. Please do not hesitate to contact us. The second lesson is this. For those of you who may be very involved and plugged in here at FBC, you're growing in Christ, you're participating in the body, you're here when the doors are open, you might be in a life group, look around you. Not just once. Be aware of who's around you. Don't function in a bubble. And you all know what I'm talking about. I despise cliques in general, and especially in church. None of you are that cool, okay? I know you guys. <laughs> Take the time to introduce yourself to someone you may have never seen or even noticed before. Start noticing. You may be the one person whose kindness literally saves a life. It's become somewhat of a modern-day parable. You may have heard the story before. It involves a, a young man or a woman who is desperate. They're at the end of their rope, and they have determined that they are going to take their life. So they head out down the street to go to a bridge to jump, and through the throngs of people, they're thinking to themselves, if just one person will look up, look me in the eye, and smile, I won't do this. 
They pass person after person after person who keeps their head down low and never makes eye contact until finally one person raises their head in the crowd, makes eye contact, and smiles. And maybe even says, how are you today? And it changes everything for that person who was on the edge of desperation. And then the story actually continues that this person finds hope and solace in the gospel and begins attending a church and growing in Christ so that one day that very person who was about to take their own life saves another with a smile. You may have that opportunity one day. You never know. Our primary mission as the church is to make disciples. You can't do that if you're an island. Community is essential for disciple-making and for representing Christ to the world. It's unfortunate, but the church throughout history has not done a very good job of living up to this expectation, I'm afraid. Jesus' admonition in John here, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think when you look at the church in general, the fracturing and the conflicts that exist don't really paint a very good picture to the world. And in Acts, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's so much packed in here. In reality, we can have such a powerful witness just by being a force for good. I like that Navy commercial. You know which one I'm talking about? A global force for good. The church, global force for good. Winsome and sociable. Be winsome and sociable. I really believe somewhere along the way we've lost this. It has to do with loving one another as well. I've heard it said, you may have as well, that the army of God is the only army that shoots its wounded. The world, of course, is increasingly rejecting Christians as society becomes more intolerant, which is ironic. We're labeled intolerant, and yet tolerance for Christianity is increasingly rare. Nevertheless, we are representatives of Christ, and we are called to carry and characterize the gospel to an unbelieving world as a body. And... We're called to encourage and lift one another up to do so in our own lives and within our own sphere of influence. So it's a both and. Once again, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity sums this up very eloquently. He says, Jesus works on us in all sorts of ways, through nature, through our own bodies, through books, sometimes through experiences which seem at the time anti-Christian. But above all, he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men, sometimes unconscious carriers, probably often unconscious carriers. I think one of the biggest compliments you can receive, and some of you may have gotten this before, is if you're interacting with someone that you really don't know very well, maybe someone you've never even met before, and they suddenly stop and say to you, are you a Christian? Good to reflect on that. It means you're doing something right. So you might say this. You might say, I'm in community. I have a whole group of friends that I fellowship with. It's just that most of them are outside Frisco Bible Church. Well, that's great. 
If that's the case, I would ask you two questions. One, are they Christ followers who are in fellowship at another church? If so, wonderful. Within the Metroplex here, we have a very vibrant Christian community. There's a lot of Bible studies going on. There are life groups that people from our church as well as other churches participate in. This is wonderful. It's great. As long as you're in community. But two, if not, I would ask you this. Are you bringing them closer to Christ? Some of you may have heard me say before that our witness is not static. We are either bringing someone closer to Christ or pushing them further away. If your friend group is primarily made up of unbelievers, what are you doing to try and change that? I'm not talking about changing friends, but by mirroring Christ in such a way that they want to know more. Oh, and by the way, this could be a lifelong process. Don't get me wrong. I could keep you here all day with stories of individuals who have finally trusted in Christ after years of having their friends share the gospel with them and represent Christ in their lives. But don't worry, I won't keep you here all day. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 is an excellent guide for our relationships outside of our home church. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, to have your conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt, and knowing how to answer everyone involves one very important factor that's implicit here, not explicit. You got to listen. You need to be a good listener in order to make the most of every opportunity. All right, so considering that existing as part of the continent and not an island is scriptural, it's a basic human need and it's missional, what does it look like in practice? First of all, it's engaging with your fellow believers. Fellowship and connecting with one another is a vital part of participating in community. Now, this can be accomplished through life groups, Bible studies, anything relational. There are groups that meet here at the church. We have a quilting group. How cool is that? That's forward thinking. That's good stuff. This picture right here is actually my life group. It's the college students. That was at our retreat this past summer. We had a really good time. Serving is a vital and effective aspect of building relationships both within and outside the church. Meeting various needs of those here in our congregation and in the community. And you see here, actually, we do the laundry love. If you've never done that, that's where we are. Uh, that's a great service that we do to the community here, actually providing laundry service to those who need the help. And then Grace Bridge, some of you I know have gone up to Grace Bridge in Salina and served up there. They are a fantastic ministry. And then that photograph is actually our group here that goes to the Prairie Home Estates Retirement Home. Now, as far as serving in the church is concerned, any capacity is a great expression of exactly what Paul's speaking of in the Romans and the 1 Corinthians passage that we read. You don't have to be an axe-wielding electric guitarist like Matt and Dan here. You could help serve communion. You could be an usher. You could be a greeter. There's always a need. Maybe you have a passion for teaching. There's always a way to serve in the church. Now, we work as a body by reaching the world with the gospel through missions, through local outreach, and personal evangelism. There are always opportunities to participate and grow in each of these areas. We have one coming up, actually, Clothe a Child. 
which you'll notice is actually in your bulletin, and you'll be hearing more about that as well. These pictures here, by the way, are from our Costa Rica missions trip this year. And growing doesn't happen in a vacuum either. True spiritual growth necessarily involves learning from others, teaching others, pursuing discipleship, iron sharpening iron. I learn most when I'm teaching. And everyone who's growing in Christ should actually be teaching someone else. That's the purpose of learning, so that you can pass along that which you know. Now, finally, worship. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. Yes, we worship Him through creative arts, and this is an especially important part of corporate worship that should never be overlooked or forsaken. But we also honor and give glory to God through our everyday lives. And of course, when we're engaging, when we're serving, when we're reaching, when we're growing, we are also worshiping. Those are functions of worship. There were three guys stranded on an island. They were friends out fishing in a boat that sank. And one day, the one of the guys is walking along the beach there, kicking up the sand, and he kicks something laying in the sand. There's a bottle. He picked up the bottle, and he uncorked it, and poof, out pops a genie. Not Barbara Eden. There's a handful of you that gets that. The genie sees the three men there on the island and says, hmm, ordinarily I grant three wishes to one man, but since there's three of you, I'm going to go ahead and grant each one of you one wish. First man steps up and says, oh, I just want to go home. I got to get off this island. I wish for you to send me home. Poof, he's gone. Second man steps up, me too. I've got to get off this island. I wish that you would send me home. Poof, he goes home. The third man on this beautiful island looks around, says, I'm all alone. I miss my friends. I wish they were back. Hey, if you're engaging, serving, reaching, growing, and worshiping, you will not become an island. Do you know why you never see elephants hiding up in trees? Because they're really good at it. <laughs> hey, if you're hiding up in a tree or you're hiding behind a tree, come down, get out from around that tree. If you're struggling in quiet desperation and you need a way to break out, I want you to consider these things, these three things here. Recognize isolation. Recognize that you are starting to pull away. I've done it. I think we've all probably done it at one time or another, and before you know it, you're drifting out there, and you may not even know how you got there. The first step is to recognize that you're beginning to isolate yourself from the body. And sometimes that might involve pride. you got to let go of that pride. Humility is the cornerstone, of course, of the Christian faith. And this is a tough one for a lot of people. Similar to it is being transparent. You need to be able to trust those to whom you go for help. Be real about the struggles that you're having. Now, if you feel like you're in a healthy place, Maybe you're in a life group. Maybe you lead one. You have lots of friends that you're in fellowship with here. You're in Bible studies, whatever the case may be. 
Look around you. Be aware. Get out of the zone. Not the auto zone. Get out of the comfort zone that you might be in. Be courageous. It takes courage. I know it does. And listen, this is not an introvert-extrovert thing. Introverts have a lot to offer in community. There might be someone right next to you that needs rescuing. Jump in. Jump in and rescue them. And honestly, you could be in both camps. It is entirely possible to be in community and yet feel isolated. If that's the case, all of these principles can apply at any given time. The bottom line is, don't be an island. That's the bottom line. Now, of course, I couldn't stand up here today and say, don't be an island and not tell you about specific opportunities we have. Could I? No. So next Sunday, discover life groups. If you are not in a life group currently, but you would like to be in one, maybe you would like to lead one or host one. Come next Sunday at 5.30. We're going to meet out here in the foyer. There's going to be food. So please register so we know how much food to get. You'll learn about the life group model, how we do it here at church. You'll learn about the life groups that actually are currently accepting new members, and you'll learn how to start one if you want to do so. We had one of these back in June, which actually uh, culminated in several new life groups being formed and people finding life groups that they eventually joined. Plus, we'll have a lot of fun. Now, if you're a man and you're looking to get plugged in somewhere, but you're, you're not quite sure exactly what to do first, we have our man camp. Men's retreat is October 14th and 15th. It's just one night. That is a great place for you to get to know some other guys and get plugged in. Once again, check registration for that on the website. Ladies, there's always something going on for you. Now, there's this one-day mini retreat specifically on October 29th. That would be a great place for you also to kind of test those waters and get to know some other ladies in the church. So, as you can see, there's really no excuses, just reasons. Or I should say there's no reasons, there's just excuses as far as not getting plugged in. Don't be an island, and don't let your brothers and sisters drift out there on their own either. Now, before I close us in prayer here, I'd like to go ahead and invite the prayer team to come down. And if there's anyone here that needs to pray about anything, that needs guidance, please feel free to come down and pray with our prayer team. And I just want to give you a reminder that the staff is always here for you. So don't be afraid to pick up that phone or send us an email. I'm going to pray in closing, and as I do, you might notice we're a little bit early. So what I want you to do is fellowship, talk, have fun. You got like a few minutes, actually more than a few minutes. So I'm going to close this in prayer, and then you guys have a great time visiting with one another. Lord, thank you for this day that you have given us. Thank you for this body of believers here, Lord, that desire to grow closer to you as they grow closer to each other. I pray that we're always mindful of the fact that it is your kingdom that we serve, not our own, Lord, and that all we do is for your glory. And I thank you and praise you that we have the privilege and the freedom to be here in this place and in this time. I pray that you'll be with each and every person here throughout this coming week. Bless them, Lord, and bless this body. In Jesus' name, amen.